Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 378, featuring Adam Sidwell, founder of Future House Studios. I've known Adam from way back when, and I hadn't seen him in years and years and years, and I just stumbled upon him at NFTLA and started chatting and he told me about his new studio, Future House Studios, and all the amazing things he's been doing. Uh, Kristen, what did you think of Adam? Yeah, so as I refer to him as the powerhouse, he has like just a, an amazing story. You two started off working on iRobot together um, and then he started creating effects for movies including King Kong, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, and Warcraft the beginning. So just a lot there. And then he created Future House Studios and in 2021, it grew 10 times. So mm-hmm. that's amazing in itself. Um, and it's a metaverse creation company. So he's taken his modular approach to VFX into real time to create AR, VR and online content. Um, and he's done worked with so many different artists and um, studios, but he's the cool thing that he does. It's a uh, virtual concerts. And one of my favorite artists, he did the weekend um, and Justin Beaver and cascade. But for the weekend concert, he just uh, explained how they get the viewers to be immersed in the shows. So they got a vote during the concert. If uh, able, the weekend was going to lick the frog mm-hmm. at the end or not. So that was just cool to learn about that. And then you guys kind of discuss more about the metaverse uh, working in real time and NFTs. So get a lot in this podcast. Yeah, we, we do get a lot. Obviously we talked about our history together in the past and how he's grown. And, but obviously, you know, like I said, I met him at NFTLA. So he's really interested in, in the metaverse in a lot of ways uh, and doing some interesting things. And he's got some very interesting thoughts about, you know, how complicated it is to integrate everything into that area. So uh, it was really cool uh, chatting with him. Uh, lots of great stuff in this episode. So uh, you guys should definitely, I hopefully you guys will get a lot out of it for sure. Okay, we have one event that's a ways from now, but we have one event that I think we want to give people a heads up on, and that is on February, uh, February 8th and 9th. What's going on, Kristen? September 8th and 9th. September. <laughs> what did I say February? September right. 8th and 9th. Yes. What's going on? Yeah. So we have 24 Hours of Chaos. This will be our third edition. It is a series of 12 back-to-back online shows during a 24-hour period. Um, and we're just kind of, we unite 3D artists and designers just from all around the world in the ArcViz, VFX, animation, gaming, product design, all that. So over the next few months, you'll see us promoting different speakers on the website, but you can go to chaos.com slash events to find out more about this event and see all the updates. Yeah, it's a great event. I absolutely adore it. Like you said, it's 24 hours and we do uh, 12 shows, two hours per show as it's traveling around the world. And we uh, we usually cover the West Coast show, uh, which is exciting. So I'm excited to try to get some cool speakers for that. Uh, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. So yes, make sure you mark your calendars or put it down as a save the date for September 8th and 9th. Uh, okay, we don't have any other product news, but if people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you guys have any ideas of, pod, of other episodes you'd like to have on or other guests or you want to make a comment about this one, you can always email us directly, labs at chaos.com. And of course, I'll leave us a review as she said, uh, as well. So, uh, but for now, please enjoy episode number 378 featuring Adam Sidwell. Welcome to another CG garage where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. 
We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. When was it that we worked together, Aditi? I mean, it must have been, was it iRobot? We were on iRobot. I were did, you on yes, iRobot. In fact, iRobot was my first film. Oh, and I remember okay. you were doing lighting and rendering, if I remember correctly. Yep. 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 Yeah, okay. and you were doing what? You were doing... I was, uh, I was doing um, pipeline, some right. pipeline tools, general, just, hey, we need a mill script. We need a, we, we weren't even doing Python back then. Um, yeah. Wasn't it Perl still or something? We, we had Perl, Mel. It was primarily in Mel because I was writing uh, animation uh, scene setup and uh, animation publishing systems, lighting systems. Right. Um, I was writing in, in Tickle. Uh, that's right which, yeah which was like a funny a funny thing Pearl uh, in fact I wrote a script that um, there was the scene with the, there was like a there was hundreds of those um, robots in the factory and we were yes. having trouble rendering them all at the same time and so I wrote a nuke script and a Pearl script that like split up the frames and then stitched them together in nuke right so that they could do sections at a time yes 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 yeah, I remember so, now all sorts of things, whatever script needed to be written, that was, you know, I was tackling that. So, and then a right. little bit of character rigging, a little bit of VFX, which is really right. fun. So I think, yeah, I, I, think yeah. I worked on some VFX with Steve Galley and, uh -huh. um, you know, so that was, that was fun. It was good. Yeah. Good crew. It was, it was, but I, okay. So I want to know a little bit about, you know, what led you to like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll that's where we kind of met. This is kind of like the movies where you got, you start in the middle yeah. of the story, right. And then you go like, okay, go back several years and find out like, what, what was the journey that led you there? And then obviously I want to know what happens after that. So, so okay. what was the journey that led you to being a visual effects person and sort of doing all of that? Well, it was funny cause I, I didn't even know what a visual effects person was. I just ended up work in the studio working on stuff and then somebody said you're you're a visual effects person you know that, that's almost how it happens like really you know like i didn't even know that was a job you know i was i was into drawing and art and uh and uh coding you know like a lot of us yeah. and um i was attending byu and they had this animation program it was just starting because this was like 97 99 around there and, right and uh we had just gotten some computers with RenderMan. And we started figuring things out and we made a short. And this was, this was actually a lot of the DD crew that was on iRobot, you know, mm -hmm. Craig Van Dyke, uh, Chris Harvey, um, yep. Mike Warner, Paul Shaney, like the, that whole crew was really fun. Um, we all migrated over to DD, but we had made this short together and uh, we'd showed it to, to Vern Wilbur. He was over yeah. there, right? He was a BYU over. graduate too, right? He was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he knew about us and what was going on. And so he said, hey guys, what are you up to? And then we showed him some things. And I remember showing this um, thing that I had rendered in RenderMan of some lemmings. And it was, you know, generated on the fly, like runtime, uh, populating the characters. And so I could handle large crowds. And, um, you know, it was all, all scripted and set up. And... Uh, I think I showed it to Darren Grant and mm -hmm. Steve Krieg and Eric Miller and they go, okay, cool. And then they go, they, you know, kind of pause the phone, put me on hold. 
they were like, what do you guys think? As I imagine what they were saying. And then, and then mm-hmm. after that, they go, Hey, do you want a job? And I was like, yes, <laughs> yes, I do. And then, and then I found out like, you know, what the different roles were, right? Because when you're, when you're working small together, you're all generalists and then right. you find out, Oh, there's a thing called a lighter, right? Like that's, right. A, that's a role. I didn't even know what that was. And there's like a pipeline TD guy. And, and, and what was cool about DD in those days, it was, it was still some of DD's loose roots where it was like this commercial shop. And so people were like hopping back and forth and there was a lot of that. And so I got to work on a couple different things on the show and do some, a little bit of rigging and um, a little bit of the effects and, um, you know, helping out in all sorts of things. I mean, I, I remember Paul George had me like working on some look dev stuff and I didn't know how to look dev. So, <laughs> so I, I moved on to something else after that, but you know, that right. was, that was really fun. And it was exciting. Like the opportunities that uh, were there because it was just, you know, early stages of the film. Right, right, right. Yeah, it was, <clears throat> it's interesting. I mean, especially you know like a lot of a lot of those you know some great great people that came out of byu i, th- I remember that old Kyle chris harvey you know he went on to be running one of the big big shots over at Renderman, right he was yeah. doing a lot of yeah. <laughs> right yeah. so uh and laura leotis she was also a byu person i don't know if you uh-huh. know laura lee and so uh-huh. she's uh, like pipeline head of pipeline at marvel now or something yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty pretty amazing so yeah it was really kind of interesting and obviously the school is really didn't didn't uh, who's the, who's the, uh, uh, the, the head of, uh, this, of Pixar CTO Pixar. Oh, Ed Catmull. Ed Catmull. Wasn't he a BYU person too? He wasn't, he was actually a university of Utah person, which is okay. you know, not far away. Right. And that's, it's kind of, that's kind of an interesting story because he was there in the origins in the seventies of computer graphics. And right. I think he, uh, invented color mapping that they were calling it at the time, which is texture mapping. And that right. was his thesis. And then, um, you know, kind of this creative wellspring came out of university of utah of like these guys that are innovating this stuff and then right. um he went to pixar but then he would come back to byu and um recruit there and one right. time he said this is the best animation school and everybody started cheering and you know they loved it and that was they, they brought a lot of recruits out of there and i think um it was working well because they they try to simulate a production environment as close as possible. Like here's one project you're all working on it. You're trying to plug into the different roles and right. you're trying to complete it on time. And it, it was pretty good at simulating that. And so then, you know, courses are leading up to your senior year where you're going to work on that project, trying to prep you for that. Yeah. So, and, and that evolved, right? Like um, when we were there, it was a bunch of guys in rooms with the computers and they're like, Oh, so what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want? To do? Let's make a short, you know, that's right, kind right. of how it was. And now it's a much rigorous process of like, um, uh, you know, portfolio review and there's only 25 students a year. And, you know, so all sorts of those things. But Yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, it's interesting. Um, I, I've always sort of, you know, uh, thought about that school. And actually, I've been thinking about Utah a lot in general with computer graphics. I mean, a viewpoint was a big company there yeah, at one point. Yeah. And, uh, but even just the Utah teapot, you know, like it's. Uh, right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Right. So, so it's a, a really it's sort of an important thing. I think there's even a, I think the Utah teapot is in a museum somewhere. Uh, is so, it? I yeah. want to find that. I want to go see that. That's. I that's think it's somewhere famous. in the Bay Area. I think there's a computer graphics museum in Bay Area, and I think really, it's yeah. Oh, that's so cool. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting to see how it's evolved too, because for a long time, if if you wanted to work in computer graphics, you went to L.A. 
right? And um, yes, you know, that's still the case. And but then now, since then, there's been kind of a small ecosystem forming here. Um, Epic Games is actually a big, a big thing um, here because mm -hmm. they have a branch here, and it was called Chair. And a couple of guys actually out of BYU that I've worked with and have known and great friends um, started that up, and then. Epic bought them and Donald Mustard was one of those guys. Now he's like chief creative officer of Epic. And so oh, that's really? kind of interesting that that has like roots here. Interesting. Um, you know, or, or is absorbed, Epic has absorbed part of that. And you have things like The Void coming out of here um, mm -hmm. for location-based entertainment. Um, and then there's Warner Brothers Avalanche uh, that used to be Disney Avalanche that did a lot of game stuff. and um, And then uh Wildworks, which did Animal Jam and has been really busy on a lot of things. And then and now you have Future House Studios. Yeah. If I, if yeah. I can throw the name in there with the, yeah, with you've, the of course you can. And, <laughs> and I will definitely want to, you know, we'll lead up to the origins of that amazing thing and what you're trying to do. But so let's get let's just go quickly back to to uh to you know iRobot. I you were finishing iRobot. That was your first feature film. Uh obviously that's where you and I met. Did you go on to stealth as well? You know what I didn't um I, I think what happened was uh, I I went to Weta after that. Oh, nice! And that was actually a really great move. So um, I'd worked with uh, with Steve Krieg. I don't know if you remember Steve. Yeah, of course. Um, he's a uh, was a character lead, and now has gone on to do some pretty cool stuff. He's he's gotten his he's accepted his Academy Award on stage, which was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, for Benjamin Button, and then um, uh, Steve said, Hey, you know, there's a job over here. You should try this. And I said, Oh yeah, I want to go to Weta. That sounds awesome. So I went to Weta and then were you working uh, on King Kong or King Kong? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Weta is so fun. It's so fun. Like I, I know it's probably changed a lot in the last 15 years since I've been oh, there, yeah. but, but it's so, it was so cool because it was just like, it felt so like, so much like DD, right? Like this rough and tumble warehouse, you're all in there and, what is like always adding another warehouse? It feels like like right. you're just kind of there in this nondescript place, and you had to drive to dailies because the creature department was in a different place, um, and you would drive all the way over to uh, the this creature department was in a place called Rongatai, and it was another neighborhood. And you drive you know a couple miles to get to Manuka, where they had the thing where you sit down and you know hear Joe Letary's notes, right? And mm -hmm. um, and uh, that was that was really fun because the creature department was pretty big at the time. I think there was twenty three. It was pretty big for you know most shops because a lot of shops. This was early stages, right? Like there wasn't as much creature work being done in the industry because it was still like being solved. And like uh, Lord of the Rings really pushed that forward. King Gollum, King Kong pushed it forward. And and I think what we did on iRobot was pretty awesome. Uh, that was a that was I I feel like was one of the big first character shows for DD. Um, I think it was. Well, yeah. Yes, possibly. You know, I think, I think there was, there was probably some before that, but um, I remember that was the talk like, Oh, this is a big character thing that we're doing. Mm -hmm. So, so I was, I was at Weta for a year and I came back, I did some things at DD and Sony and ILM. Um, you know, ILM is really fun. Of course. Okay. Just of, but you, how long were you at Weta? You said, uh, for about a year, over about a year. year. Yeah. Okay. So over a year, you know, it's kind of, I kind of was the, um, wandering CG minstrel, you know, like, yep. I know a lot of people do that. They go from movie to movie, from place to place. 
Sure. But I, but that was kind of, that was actually intentional um, because I felt like there was so much to learn out there and so much to discover. And, you know, being an early, you know, mid twenties guy, I was just so excited to see the world and go find out what was out there. And every new place was an exciting new adventure. And right. so I ran the gamut, you know, I did, I did Sony, I did ILM, I did, you know, Weta, um, even a couple of places like Asylum, uh, right. Murata. Yeah. Um, I think, I, I think that's MPC. I did a little stint at MPC, did a commercial there. Wow. Um, so, and I think what was cool is, is you, it's funny, you know, this, that you end up, you end up working with all the same people anyway, and you sure. can't even remember sometimes where you worked with that person. Um, but you're just, you know, you're at one studio one year with them and then you're at the, another studio the next year working with the same person. And it's so fun because it's kind of this, this group that this network of friends and people yep. that you, that you like working with and you know, their capabilities, you know, you can trust them to get things done. And there's, there's just cool, like trust factor that occurs when you've worked on shows together that, oh, okay, that guy gets it. He knows what it's like being in the trenches. He knows how to deliver. And, and that's, um, that's something that I think you, you take with you, right. Is this ability to like, to finish the hard task and finish and solve the hard problem and make it look good. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what was your, I mean, what were you doing most of those, were you still being a, a TD at most of those places Were you still solving, making tools or doing, or were you starting to do other things as well? So I moved, I migrated from tools over to, um, character work, uh, okay. in at Weta and right. that was great. And so I, so I started to focus on character work. Um, but it was always with like a, you know, backup of like, Hey, I know how to do this with tools. You know, you have different kinds of character TDs, right. some that are coders and some that aren't, um, <clears throat> you know, I was getting into the the API a little bit of like, you know, coding things and figuring out how that works with Maya. Um, uh, but then also, you know, I had this really fun problem and this was early stages, right. Of like, um, of uh building like 36 unique cars for um king kong right the new york sequence king Kong's right yeah storming through there and they're all old-timey you know 1920s 1930s cars and so they they modeled them out and it was real, just really fun to come up with scripts that would auto build everything if you wanted to update like how the wheels worked right and then you push a button and it updates everything and that was always fun to do right like i right. love thinking in that modular sense i love thinking in like how can we scale this? How can we repeat it? And that was fun because, you know, oh, wait, I want to add suspension. Boom. Add this to all the cars. So, the, and that was really interesting because it was like the beginning of modular thinking in character work, mm -hmm. you know, um, not that I started that, but that was in the early stages. And I see it now where, um, you know, ILM has developed a lot of tools and I talked to people as they were developing their rigging systems. Um, and you just see so many like auto riggers out there, right? Of like, you just lay out the joint, boop, 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 you know, press the button and it goes and practically skins it and does everything for you. Right. Right. So it's really cool that the tool sets have come that far so that you can work on the other things, uh, that are, that matter, you know, that matter most. Uh, um, right. and, and so, uh, and then additionally, right. It's gone further to like modular systems for simulating, um, the skin, the muscles, uh, the fascia and the tissue for characters. And you saw, you know, um, we did a lot of that simulation at ILM on Warcraft and Ninja Turtles and um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, okay. 
So we did a lot of sim work at those places and figuring those things out. And that, it's fun to see that evolve too, because um, when I was back at Weta, uh, started working with a guy named James Jacobs. And James is just really smart creature TD. And he was developing on Avatar a lot of these concepts with some other uh, some other TDs about um, uh, you know how to run these muscle sims, how to make these things more realistic. And if you can see an Avatar, like you can kind of see how certain parts of the movie the characters look so much better than other parts, right? Because that was a long movie, and that process developed. Um, but uh, those learnings really started to sink into everybody's head in, as the years went by. And then James actually went and developed something called Ziva Dynamics, which is super cool. Um, and that's a, a standalone product that um, that uh, does realistic uh, muscle sim and uh, tissue simming and is just characters um, making the sims very real. And it, it, it's super impressive. You're like you look at it and you say, oh, wow, is that a real tiger? Right. And, and everything, everything works really well. And now that's gone into real time and they've adapted it to real time. And now that's a big part of unity. I fact, I think unity, unity acquired Ziva. What? Yeah. Well, did they acquire it with the acquisition of Weta? Cause they've acquired. I think they acquired it before that actually. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And that we should talk about that acquisition of Weta. That's, that's so fascinating to think about that and where oh, it's yeah. going. Oh yeah. We're going to get to that. Don't worry. Okay. Good. Good. Okay. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're, we're talking about that. So yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. Well, that's really cool. So you're, you know, doing a lot of character work, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and then <clears throat> when did things start to change? When did you decide, Hey, I'm going to make my own studio? Like what led the, you to that, that oh, situation? Okay. Um, okay. That, so I, I guess I should back up a little bit because it's sure. important. So character work and then transitioned into real time. Um, you transitioned to five real time. years ago. Yeah. Started okay. doing VR work. VR was so interesting to me because it almost felt like, I know this is kind of crazy to say, but we had solved a lot of the problems in, in offline rendering like films. I mean, I know there's still plenty of problems to solve, but you know, going back in history before when you remember when like, we still didn't know how to do water. We still didn't know how to do fire. We still didn't yep. know how to do faces. And of course there's still problems to solve there, but like, we're so much further ahead in the last 15 years. I mean, I mean, all those things, it's like, oh yeah, that's easy. It's now just push a button, you know? Right. And so- Remember how long we used to struggle just to do global illumination and now it's just yes, like a no-brainer? <laughs> yes, exactly. Like those kinds of things, it was like, it was like the fact that we even should have global illumination, right? <laughs> yeah. It was like, you know, we, this guy wrote this paper about GI. <laughs> have you heard of it? You know? And then- yeah. Like, oh, that's really cool. And then, and then you'd have all these hacks like, I mean, occlusion and all this other stuff just to try to make it look kind of like what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, I remember those things. <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. and, then, and especially because you're a rendering guy, like you've seen that uh -huh. go through and change. So um, so that was, I mean, the, the, the systems have evolved so well and everybody's like, it's, it's so fun because everyone's rallied together. They've made these tools. It's a lot easier now, but then they can spend their time on the newer problems, right? Mm -hmm. So that was fun to transition over to VR and real time to solve some of those problems. I was really fascinated, especially as a creature guy and a VFX guy with augmented reality, right? Because, right. you know, we spend all of our time creating real photorealistic creatures and environments to put into the real world in a film. In AR, we're doing it in real time and that's cool. Now, of course, it doesn't look nearly as advanced at this point and it's sure. you know, kind of, it's Pokemon, right? Right. But 
the idea when I first saw it was like a Vuforia demo and I started playing with that and I got that to work and I put this little character and he popped up on my desktop. He's moving around and I'm looking through my phone. This is amazing. I can't right. believe it. I can actually put VFX in real time in my real world and I can put it wherever I want, you know? Right. Now, how is this tracking in real time? Right. And so it was just like, it was just very mind blowing. And so um, I've had fun delving into the real time aspect. And I think that's been critical because then after doing the real time for a while, there was another uh, studio that started up here in Utah. Um, and I was, I was, uh, I, I made, I moved out of LA a couple of years back. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a studio that started up here. Um, it was called Deep Root, and we were making game cinematics for pinball machines, which was really fascinating. Some someone had a lot of funding, uh, came in. We built this studio. There was like forty five of us. It built up a three D department. Got to work with some really cool people, and um, that they, they ran into funding issues. Okay. Uh, and ultimately, what happened was they were running into funding issues. The you know the pay had dried up. We'd done it for a couple of years. We were making some really cool stuff. We'd hired people from. ILM and Pixar and all sorts of like really great talent. There's just, you know, there wasn't the money left. And um, I talked to the owner. I said, Hey, well, a client came to me and said, Hey, we want you to do this real time um, work for virtual concerts. And, okay. uh, you know, I said, okay, well, that sounds awesome. It's like, you got a team, right? And I'm like, yes, I do. Um, <laughs> and, and and I did because we had all these people who were losing their jobs right. from the previous studio. And I said, guys, let's, let's go do this. Um, they've approached me and I signed contracts with them. And then I went to the owner of the, of the company that everybody was getting laid off from. Right. I said, Hey, you don't want, you don't have the money to carry all these people on staff, but if you want, we'll continue making these game cinematics for you. And you just contract with future house studios. Okay. And he said, yeah, that's a great idea. Right. Uh, and I was like, great, we have two clients, let's go. And, uh, and so, um, you know, hired a couple people, worked on some things that was two years ago. In fact, we just hit our two year anniversary wow. four days ago. So that's pretty fun. Um, and, you know, it was a couple people and we were just trying to like keep people busy, but we, we started working with Wave um, and they are, uh, they're awesome. They, they're doing, um, virtual concerts and virtual entertainment in a new way that's innovative. And they have this cool platform. Um, they're, uh, they're reaching out with all the best artists. They're working with, um, you know, Time Warner music group. And so, uh, and I think they have a bunch of investors that are, um, that are actually the artists, you know, some of these big time artists are investing in them. So, um, uh, so we started working on a John Legend show and then a weekend show. Uh, you know, he did the halftime Super Bowl. He's just huge. Right. Great music. It's really fun. And that show was really great and interesting. And, it, and I loved it because uh, they broke the idea of like, here's somebody on a stage, but here's more like a, this music video where the camera's doing interesting things. You're playing with scale. You're playing with like visual elements in a, in a weird way. And then uh, we did, then we moved on to do just, you know, a lot of pipeline, additional support work, um, did a lot on the Justin Bieber concert. And so we ramped up for that. We had, you know, 20 artists working on that. Um, and and so it's been really busy and, and um, we've added new clients since then. And so we've uh, augmented our team and we've 
we've been to as many as high as um, having 52 people on the payroll at one time. So, you know, it's, it, it's not it's, a, not a small company, but not a small <laughs> company. Right. And, and, yeah. and ramp up and ramp down is necessary. Right. And so, sure. um, you know, like, like all the effect studios and the studios do. Um, but right now, you know, we're probably, uh, 25 to 35 about, um, uh, working on projects and, um, contractors. And we expect that we're getting into our busy period that will probably, um, be needing to, uh, ramp up more soon. And, you know, I, I think one of the things that was really important to me is that I said, okay, if I'm going to start a studio, I'm going to make sure I can hire like all those, you know, the great people that I've worked with in the past. Um, and so I've, you know, working with some people from digital domain, from ILM, from other places. And it's been awesome because, you know, like, like I said, there's that element of trust, right? Like, you know, that you've been through these things, these hard projects together, and you know that people will do what it takes to get it done. And there's a certain element of trust there. And so we're, we're moving forward and we're doing it. Yeah. That's amazing. That's really cool. I mean, that's, I've always find it, you know, interesting how people start studios and what's the, what's the thing that started it. Right. And, you're not the first person that started a studio because another studio was collapsing, uh, which is interesting. Um, uh, I, I think it was, was it the guy from uh, uh, Axis Animation? I think he might have been in a similar boat, uh, which is interesting. But okay, so so just for you know the listeners, everyone's like, okay, what is a virtual concert or what is this concert? So explain, like, give me an example. Take one of those performances, whichever fa- favorite one it is, and tell us what you'd expect to see or what 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 you guys are doing for enhancing these these experiences. Okay. Yeah. So let me let me use a couple of examples. Um, so uh, let's take Justin Bieber. That was okay. You know one of Wave's biggest concerts and we, we, we supported them a lot on that. They have this really cool platform where, um, Bieber, Justin, he's like motion captured live. Okay. And he's performing and he's driving his avatar in the virtual world. And so you can log on from your phone or from, uh, your web browser, um, to be in this concert. And then you can interact with the concert. Like there's a point where it says, you know, send Justin some love. And he's got like this health meter and you, you tap on this heart and it sends it and you see it, send it through the concert. And then you see names of users appear over the heads of some of the crowd characters and other people. And, and you're in this city environment and it's super cool because you're, you're, you know, affecting the outcome. There's one point where it says, send Justin some light, like charge him up and you do. And then he starts glowing and like these effects come off of him. It's really cool because everybody's participating uh, there was a moment in the weekend where you can vote whether he licks the frog or not. <laughs> he has this thing. He licks the frog. It's almost like the Ozzy Osbourne biting the bat head off. Uh, right. But uh, he licks the frog <clears throat> in one of his videos. It's super gross. And it, everyone's like, oh, that's so weird. But you can vote whether he does that or not. Right. And so that's really cool. And then another cool thing that Wave did with the um, Justin was uh, they had people on their webcams in this tiles behind him. And he's talking to them and they're reacting in real time. And so that's a, that's a, just such a cool thing because it, it connects people and makes them feel part of the concert. It actually makes the concert feel more intimate than if you're at a stadium with 30,000 people. Mm-hmm. But it also makes the concert much more scalable. I mean, because you can have millions. I mean, millions of people have seen yeah. this thing. Um, and and that that's really interesting. Um, we did one with a, a company called Future Fest um, that had a, 
a Cascade concert. You know, Cascade is this <clears throat> enormously successful, famous EDM artist. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, you were like robots. Your avatar was like a robot and you're hopping around platforms. And it was also almost like this game inside a pinball machine. It goes back to our pinball roots, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but uh, these characters are hopping around inside this pinball machine as the concert goes on and they're interacting. And then there's a, the ticket is an NFT and there's various drops that occur. And so um, you're seeing that it's almost like you can make a game out of the concert and have um, a way for people to participate and affect the outcome. Right. It's interesting. I mean, I, I remember when my son, when he was playing Fortnite and seeing Travis Scott yes. concert in Fortnite, right? And that was like, you just said, make a game out of a concert but they made a concert out of a game so yes, it's like yes. <laughs> you know and that thing was amazing right it, it was, was it was like what that it was the trippiest thing and it was yep. just you know what is going on and it was just it was fun it was fun and it was short you know it was like you had to be there for the window of opportunity uh and and that was that was kind of awesome for sure yeah i i i love what they did with the playing with the sense of scale and yeah. the um environments in that concert yeah. And then people can sort of, they don't have to be in a stadium, right? They can sort of be anywhere yeah. and do anything and, and do all kinds of stuff. So that's really cool. So, so, so your, 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 your interest in real-time technology sort of came out of the, uh, out of the VR world, I'm assuming, right? Mm -hmm. That sort of started it. Okay. Right. So, so what were, what were some of the challenges that you think you had, like, you know, going into real time? Like, what were some of the things that's like, obviously the advantage is that it's real time, uh, <laughs> but what were some of the challenges that you had with real time? Well, you know, it's funny, Chris, because I remember getting my first job in real time and it's so, it's so different from getting your job in VFX where everybody knows you and they just say, oh, come on over. Oh, you do this thing. Okay. Get over here. Like you're hired within like an hour. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in real time, it was a whole new set of people. And mm -hmm. um, I almost had to convince them to give me this job. And it was like one of the, almost like one of the hardest jobs I had to get. But then um, I'm saying all this because once I got there, it was like, well, guys, this is computer graphics. It's all the same, you know, and, and it's 3D, right? Like there's so many similarities. Right. Um, especially from the point of view of I was taking on the role as an animation director and character director. So, um, it was animating, you know, I wrote some pipeline tools to go from Maya into unity, made sure that, so, you know, you're dealing with the blending there, right? Like that's a fun problem to solve is that you have these animation cycles that need to blend into each other and you really need to plan them out as opposed to doing just one long shot, right? Where it's right. going to do something that doesn't blend. And so that real time aspect is very interesting and, and a cool way to think about that problem from an animation perspective was really fun to do. Um, and, and start to, you know, wrap your head around that initially. And so, you know, you master that, but then you have the, um, the problem from the asset perspective of I only get so many polygons and so many bones. Um, and that's a huge challenge, right? Like yeah. you want to render this top quality, amazing photorealistic thing, but then you just kind of have to redesign things to fit with the software and hardware. I mean, I feel like I'm making atari games in the late or the early 90s you know like right oh well you only get so many pixels you can use right right um and and so that that is a huge challenge and i know that 
as people look at the metaverse and they go, oh, this metaverse, why, why would I want to play a game that looks like it's 1994? And I'm like, yeah, you have a good point, right? right. But it's because we're dealing, we're trying to solve new problems. And I right. think that it will get there um, as hardware increases and, uh, you know, the algorithms get better. Um, uh, you know, the chips get better. It's, it's going to get there. Um, from the rendering perspective, there's a lot of rendering issues, right? Like, um, especially in VR, because you're doing two eyes. I mean, I almost, you know, I love, I love rendering in Unreal when you can take three seconds of frame. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, right? When you're taking it from an offline perspective, but when you're supposed to be doing 120 FPS in VR or 90 FPS, and that's your target. Yeah. And then suddenly, uh, um, you know, if you can do it, if you could do it like an offline Unreal render and you can take three seconds, it's absolutely fun, right? Um, right. So, so that's not the problem, but the problem is when you're rendering two eyes in VR in real time, it just reduces the amount of fidelity you can make. And I know some artists who get very frustrated and they just don't want to work with it because they're, they want to make, they feel hampered. They feel like handicapped by those limitations. Right. Do you, but what's, what about in general, like there there are real-time experiences where the fidelity of what it looks like is not as important, right, as the interaction or the other things that are going on. So a lot of people seem to be very forgiving of, I don't want to say crappy-looking games, but because they're fun games, right? Yes. You know? yes. <laughs> right? And so that's almost the same thing in movies. Like, it doesn't matter how good the dinosaurs look in Jurassic Park if this you know, if the story sucks, it sucks. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's a good point, right? Like you can swap out story and writing for gameplay, game mechanics and writing, yep. right? You know, um, if you have those, then people are forgiving. And and that's what's been fun about VR is like, there's some ridiculous experiences out there, right? That sure. you just, you get in there and there's absolutely, you know, no great graphics about it. It's just like, moving spheres or weird things that are working and it doesn't matter because it's fun. Right. And right. you don't, you don't care. Um, and, and so that's, that's really cool. And especially, you know, what I love is that there's kind of growing past this, but the awe of someone being in a VR headset for the first time. I love that. I love being with somebody when I'm putting on the VR headset for the first time and they go, Whoa, and they look around, it's the simplest world, but the reality that is being projected upon you feels so real. It's very cool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. I totally get it. Um, okay. So, so that's cool. So you, you've been, your studio started two years ago, right? Uh -huh. And you've been working on virtual concerts. What, any other kind of, kind of projects you've been working on? Yeah, a lot. So, uh, we do a lot of game projects. Um, okay. you know, game companies will come to us, uh, whether it's mobile or other, um, platforms. Uh, asking us to do um, modeling, animation, um, character rigging, VFX, uh, lighting, tech, tech art, engineering. Okay. Um, that's that's been uh, you know a steady stream of clients. Um, interestingly enough, a lot of people come to us for, for metaverse applications. Okay, and, let's get know, into I, that. <laughs> yeah, you know when I say that word, it's like metaverse. What does that even mean? Is that even a real thing? Right. Yeah. And yeah. all metaverses is it's VR with a couple stipulations, right? Or, okay. or it's not even VR. It's just, we're all getting together in this world together. Right. Okay. We've been, we've, you know, 
it, it's funny because after uh, Mark Zuckerberg made the announcement and they changed the name to Meta and they talked about putting you know ten billion dollars toward building the metaverse, it finally gave us a word to be able to use that other people would understand outside of the industry for the thing that we'd already been doing for the last five years. Right. You know, Got so it. we've been making meta, the metaverse since before it was cool. Um, right. You know, that was real time, right? Like uh, uh, the real time experiences that we're making that, that was, um, that was metaverse. Those were metaverse applications. So now we have a lot of people coming to us saying, Hey, I've got my corporation of 500 employees and I want them to get together. This especially happened during COVID. They mm -hmm. haven't seen each other in a year or two years. Let's get them together. Can you build a special world and have everybody come in there and interact? And we've done that. And it's been awesome to see because everyone's like laughing their heads off. They're like loving it. They're playing games. They're being silly. They're dancing. They're, they're, um, you know, interacting in a way because it, you know, for them, it's the first time they've been in a VR headset or you might be going in from a browser but mm -hmm. it gives you a feeling of like, hey, I'm kind of there with somebody right. in a way, in a way more than Zoom does too, because there's so many subtle cues. Uh, you know, we're we're like on a Zoom right now, right? It's 2D. I see a picture. You're, sure. um, you're, you know, you're high fidelity, right? Um, but there's something about when you're in VR and you can sense that someone is two or three feet behind you. You know, we have all these different signals that our bodies use, like hearing. You know, the, the back of our hairs, the, the hair on the back of our neck stands up and we, we feel like, oh, there's somebody over there. Right. Um, and and I and we like that. Right. We like to be around people and proximity counts. Right. Like, you know, personal space. That's why that's such a big deal with us. Hey, you're too close, man. Or, right. you know, bring it in for a hug. Right. Like VR has those um, kinds of cues that you can enjoy with each other that you can't on like a flat 2d face-to-face -face video chat. Right. Um, and so that's why people have come to us about, Hey, let's make this metaverse so we could bring people together. So it's actually funny. We're going to, we're actually working on one right now um, that we're putting uh, former president George W. Bush in there to address some people. And then George Clooney's showing up too. So it's like, that's so interesting. isn't that interesting? The two Georges, yeah. right? Like what, what a pair. Right. And so, now we've helped to put, you know, Justin Bieber, The Weeknd, Sonic the Hedgehog, John Legend, and George W. Bush all in the metaverse, and that's <laughs> kind of a fun light up, you know. I wanted to get all get yeah. together. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we should we should mention the people uh, that uh, the reason you and I reconnected is that I totally randomly ran into you at NFTLA. I that's saw right. you sort of wandering the halls of uh, of uh, LA Convention Center, and I was like, oh my god. And so anyway, we reconnected there. So what is, what was your interest in NFTLA? Like, what were you there checking out? Well, so the, the blockchain and um, decentralization is very interesting to so many people. And there's been such a conversation surrounding it. I wanted to go and find out more about it and understand, kind of absorb the, the zeitgeist and see what, what was there. Um, a lot of people are using NFTs for ticketing. You know, that was part of Future Fest. Interesting. Uh, that, that was, you bought a ticket and it was an NFT, but then that's connected to your wallet and it's connected to you. And so they can send you new things and that's pretty cool. <clears throat> um, uh, that was the same with uh, Wave did that with the show um, for uh, Teflon Sega. And there was a ticket NFT that you got if you attended the show. And it's pretty cool looking, really cool looking, you know, piece of art. Right. And so 
Um, that's a big thing. And then we also were um, researching doing our own F NFT collection because we've had a number of NFT collections come to us and we've created the art for them. Okay. Um, and it's, it's actually a really fun problem to solve, the generative art, because you're getting these modular pieces and they switch in and out and you build yep. this thing. And, and it's really fun because you don't know what's going to come of it, right? Like you plan it out, but then you randomly inserting pieces and then you get something really cool. So I, I love that aspect of it. Um, and so we're, we're looking at our own NFT collection. Of course, like, you know, a week ago, the market fell out on NFTs and you know, sure. it bottomed out and they lost 93% of their value. I think they'll be back um, in some form or another. And I don't know when, but we would really like to um, build on that because I, I love the idea of the community that it builds. People getting together, they rally around this one thing, you buy this thing, and then you get to talk to each other about these things that you love that are adjacent and connected. Right. Um, so we have you know, some communities that we're building that we really want to have this be a part of. Um, so that's, um, that's our interest in NFTs. And I, I think that as, as people come to us to build more of them, you know, we, uh, it, it's fun to be in the space and understand the space. Yeah, I, th I think it's interesting. I, you know, obviously a lot of people are very skeptical of crypto and there are people who are saying, I told you so with the crash or whatever, yeah. which is yeah. fine. But, you know, my response to that is people said exactly the same thing about the internet in 2001. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think we, we, we're still using the internet today. So we are uh, probably more than ever. Uh -huh. uh, and so I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to go one way or another. And I do believe that uh, digital goods and the idea of the metaverse itself is going to be important. You know, you're building metaverses, right? Which is a great thing. Uh, and I think that um, that exchanging goods in the in the metaverse is going to have to, is going to be something that takes place. And I think that people are going to buy those things. <laughs> and I they guess have to have a good common system for it to work that's trustworthy, then it'll work, right? So um, absolutely. Well, and Chris, if for, for those out there who are still skeptical about NFTs and digital goods, Think about hipsters. Um, and I say this because... <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Think about hipsters. I like that saw, quote. For those uh, of you who are skeptical about NFTs, think about hipsters. <laughs> and I say this because, right? Like, I, I remember um, you got the rise of tech, right? And this is like, what, like 2007, around that time when you okay. have... Everyone's saturated with iPhones and all these things. And, and, and right. like, oh, wow, these are all so cool. It's inundated our lives. And I remember working in San Francisco. I was at, actually at ILM and I saw this hipster, this younger kid, and he's on the bus and he's got like this wooden board game on his lap. Okay. And he's going to his friend's house to play board game with this like ancient looking antique board game. Sure. And I was like, what's going on here? Like everybody, nobody likes board games. That's like old. Right? right. But people, I think what people were looking at is they, they said, oh, we're in an era of infinitely duplicatable digital goods. I want something rare and I want something special. And what, and if, and so, and so the rise of, you know, all this retro stuff, vinyl is back, right? right. Playing vinyl records. Um, so digital goods, when you attach a rarity to them and you can verify that rarity, it means something, right? Like I'm the only one who has this cool avatar or this cool t-shirt in, or this cool hat 
with this right. cool digital pair of shoes. And when I'm showing, you know, it's it's like when you show up at the party and somebody's like, where'd you get that shirt? I've never seen anything like it. It's so cool. Right? right. And then if somebody else shows up with the shirt five minutes it's later, it's no, yeah, it's no fun. Right. So, <laughs> so that, that that's NFTs, right? You're the only right. one with the shirt. Yeah. 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 I think the challenge though, the challenge is that the thing that I, that I think is interesting is the, uh, how is it going to work with all the walled gardens, right? Like, (laughs) because if I have a really cool NFT and I want to play Fortnite, why can't I bring my avatar into Fortnite, right? Yeah. Because you can only use the avatars that that Fortnite supplies for you. You have to buy from them, but a lot of people can buy the banana suit one, right? Uh (laughs) So so I want to have my own. So I think what's interesting, and then, you know, this is a metaverse problem that that it solved is, is the open standard problem. So like people can do that. So what, so what's, what's your thoughts on that? They're absolutely okay. So, I there has to be an open standard because everybody's trying to make their walled gardens. You've got the Meta Garden, you've got the um, you know Microsoft Garden, you've got the Epic Fortnite Garden. You got everybody's right. trying to make these gardens, and and it's it's walls, and there's like you know um, soldiers pouring boiling oil at you if you try right. to break through the wall. You know, but but some people, and I know Epic is um, I think moving in this direction. Are, are looking at how can we be interoperable because the metaverse is really going to be really, really fun when it's interoperable and I can walk from one garden to another right. and I'm in the same avatar and the NFTs have verified it and its systems working. That's what's fun to me. And um, I think that's going to be fun to everybody else, but I think that's only going to work when there's an economic incentive for people to open up their, um, the doors into and let people through the walls. And I think that's going to happen um, if anyone's, if any brands are out there listening, come to us and we're going to build you a metaverse. And once we've built a lot of these metaverses and they're all interconnected, we're going to have a James holiday Easter egg hunt through the metaverses for a million dollars. <laughs> and then you're going to want to be part of that metaverse, right? <laughs> you're going to want to be part of that. You're going to want it so that, so that people are tr- given a reason to come find the key in your metaverse. And it has to be connected to everything else. And that's when it's going to be really fun. I I really hope so. I think that's that's going to be the key. And I think that decentralization or Web3 in general, I think is going to be the key for that to happen, right? And the only way that's going to happen is if you uh, create open standards for people to use. Absolutely. And I think think Material X is one of those standards. Um, USD as well, I think. USD, right? (laughs) Yes, definitely. and, and if we can create that right, that creates that right standard for characters and all those other parts of it, like th- then um, we're going to be in a good spot. Um, and, and, and Chris, I'm glad you're bringing this up because whenever I hear a metaverse panel and somebody gets up there and like, you know, we're just going to walk in from Fortnite into Meta, I'm like, wait, no, no, How? I'm like, that's <laughs> that's my job to make that happen, and that's hard. <laughs> We're only going to be able to do that if they allow it to happen, right? And right, so, right, right. So I want to like run up on stage and be like, wait, stop. We make this stuff. Let me tell you how it's going to work, right? Yeah, so, I know. Yeah. The open you, you think Apple is going to want to have everyone, you know, like Apple is not going to put iMessage on Android. Let's just put it that way. It's the right, same. Problem, there you go. There right? you go. Because otherwise right. they'll lose a whole bunch of customers, uh-huh. right? So so they've got the lock-in because they've got iMessage on iPhone and they will never put it on Android because yep. then it would – 
take that disadvantage away. Anyway, really fascinating. Uh, now let's talk about game engines, your thoughts on the game engines themselves. Like they've been tackling this. Obviously, Epic has a very strategic goal that they're doing, right? They are, mm-hmm. they have gone all in on the beyond games <laughs> technology, right? It's not. Uh-huh. Unreal is not just for games, it's for virtual production, it's for concerts, it's for metaverse experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So um, Unity obviously has been doing this as well. And so what is your thoughts about, like, to me, it seemed very obvious why they acquired Weta, but what's your thoughts on that whole thing? Yeah, you know, I I think I've been trying to figure that out. Like, to me, it seems like a brilliant acquisition. Sure. Um, but what does that mean? Like, are we going to try to jam all of the learnings of Weta in the VFX world into Unity? Um, because that's just not going to fit right away. But if no. we're asking all of those brilliant minds to then develop Unity further to do all of these amazing things, and that that makes absolute sense, right? You, you right. know, the technology is not all compatible. Some of it will be, but the minds, let's get them in there and let's do this. Are, are we going? Is Weta going to start making? visual effects films in unity that would be cool yeah right? that would maybe. be really cool but i think i think it's more about like let's get unity super photo real and let's get unity doing all these amazing things um there was the the enemies i think it's called enemies the demo that unity just did oh with the hu- digital human stuff digital was humans yeah. and this architecture was like unfolding it was beautiful it was really yeah. amazing so yeah yeah for sure well okay uh I think, I mean, I think it's fascinating. I think that the, what, what, what those guys are doing and, and their goals in there. And obviously, Epic has hired a huge A lot of people I know now yeah, work at yeah, Epic. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right? Yeah, all, so yeah. obviously, they're doing the same thing. They just didn't buy an entire company, they, but they've acquired a huge amount of people that work there. Um, and the real-time experience is good. The thing that always bothers me, and I know I'm very biased about this stuff, but the thing that always bothered me about the real-time experience is that I feel like we're back in the iRobot days mm-hmm. where we're still having to hack a bunch of stuff to make it look I good. I know. I know. <laughs> yes. Yes. And you, know? you, you want to get past that because at the end, you get that adrenaline rush from just a good-looking picture, you know? Right. And, and, and that is frustrating. And I know some people who just won't do real-time because of it, and I understand that. Right. Um, so, yeah, so – Hopefully, this Weta acquisition can just help fuse. Well, I, honestly, I, I think it's going to be ray tracing. Once they get real, real ray tracing in real time, which, which Chaos is working on. Obviously, we've been doing a pretty good job on with 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 uh, Vantage, but they think that's what's going to change it. Because I just like it was funny because I've been doing a little bit of things in real time and Unreal to sort of learn that experience and doing some virtual production. And mm-hmm. and I, I said, oh my God, I promised myself I would never render a shadow map again in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are still doing, rendering shadow maps. So, uh, so it's interesting. Okay. So what are, what are, so, so you're, you've got some really great ideas about the metaverse. What's your thoughts? I mean, where, where do you think it's going to go in the next, you know, five, five years or whatever? Well, um, I, I think that it's going to go to interoperability. I hope that it's going to go to interoperability. We're going to do everything we can to make that uh, available for people. Um, I don't think that we're all going to be sitting in VR headsets 24-7. You know, everybody's kind of worried about that. But I think that just viscerally, there's an instinct inside us that says, 
I can only do VR for 30 minutes at tops, you know, maybe an right. hour. And then you just kind of feel like you want to get out of it. Now that can change as the form factors get slimmer and more comfortable. Um, but, uh, but I think, and, and also as, as VR becomes more physical, right? Because then you're enjoying that, that physicality of action and movement. So, right. um, what I see is the interconnectedness of, of so many things, the, um, the real world metaverse, you know, some of the things that are happening, we're doing a lot of fun things with, uh, Niantic and their Lightship platform. Interesting. Um, and you know, they're, they're setting out to build the real world metaverse. And I think as you see that tying into VR or just accessing it from your phone, um, or accessing it from, uh, your web browser or your console, I'd love to see all those things connected so that as we um, traverse our real world, we can find interesting insertion points to this metaverse. And not in a way that, you know, it's there if you want it, but not obtrusive. Uh, I right. think that's, I think that's important. Like you can always take your glasses off. Um, <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's what I think is going to be key, but I would love to see us traversing through all of those places and, and melding them. And, and we, we have some things in the works uh, moving in that direction, some internal projects that we're um, having development, probably too, too early to say much about it yet, but uh, okay. in a subsequent show, we'll be able to talk more about it as all we right. further along. So. All right. All right. Well, cool. So, so let, let's, let's get a little bit into what kind of projects, you know, obviously you mentioned the concerts, but what other things can people check out? Like are there things that people can get in, in VR right now that can check out some of the work that you guys are doing or any other things that people should, should you know, experience some of the things that you guys have, have done. What's yeah. Good? Let's them do that. Well, so you can always go to futurehousestudios.com and see our reel and some of the things that we're building. Um, go check out a lot of the, the wave things. Uh, I think it's wave.watch. Um, they, you know, wave has their amazing platform. They've built out all these things. You can see some of our work that we've contributed there. Um, and it allows you to, you know, you should experience, you can experience the next concert. You can go to, um, see recordings of those concerts like Justin Bieber. There's a, a Steve Aoki Sonic, the Hedgehog concert that we did for Supersphere, And that one is on YouTube. You can view it in VR. Um, so that's a, that's Steve a Aoki one. is really into NFTs and into the, yeah. Mostly. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, I mean, cool dude. Right. Like very interesting how yeah. he's, it melds with this digital music, uh, arena, which he's playing in, mm -hmm. um, go, go check us out on LinkedIn. Um, come add, add me on LinkedIn. Uh, we post a lot of stuff that we're working on. We just did a really cool 2d dungeons and dragons trailer, um, for, uh, for the never winter game. Uh, okay. for Gearbox. And then also, um, did a 3d version, a 3d trailer, you know, back in the fall. So, um, yeah, definitely follow us on LinkedIn to see the kinds of things that we're doing. We usually we post pretty regularly about some cool stuff and, and you can see some of the AR, uh, demos that we've worked on in Lightship, we're Lightship and eighth wall. There's a lot of web AR happening, um, mm -hmm. that we're diving into further. And a lot of these Lightship demos, which show, um, some of the applications that you can do in augmented reality, which are really fun. Hmm. And uh, we have people hiring us all the time to build out those kinds of experiences. And that's big in marketing. People are creating a lot of experiences in AR there. Um, you can see some of our work on uh, the documentary Waterman. We did some animation for Waterman. That's a fun one of, um, about uh, Duke Kahanamuku, the famous Hawaiian surfer and, mm -hmm. and swimmer. Um, so 
there's, uh, there's those things to check out. Um, and then, you know, we'll be having some game cinematics and some games coming out where we actually have a, a big AAA game that we, um, worked on coming out soon, but that's, um, our publisher, I think is going to announce it maybe in the next month or so. Um, okay. so that's an exciting one, a location-based experience that I think is going to be very, very cool. And we love the IP. Uh, it's one of our, one of our favorites and, um, you know, very, very famous IP. So we hope to be able to, uh, talk about that in about a month or so. Okay. Was, you yeah. have been extremely busy in two years. We've been years, very busy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been that very is, busy. We've that is a busy. lot of work in two years. That's amazing. And, and some of it we can't even talk about, right? Uh, right. And, and hopefully we'll be able to announce it at, at some time. But um, yeah, we've there's been a there's been quite a need for content, and we're we're having a lot of fun with it. So we're. And you we're guys are based in Utah, more. right? So we're based in Utah, but we're all over the world. So we're hiring people from Los Angeles to New York to Toronto to Brazil to Hungary. Um, okay. We've even had people in Japan. So yeah. How is, how is the, you know, for two years, I mean, you were basically, you started your studio right at the beginning of the pandemic, it sounds right, like, right? Right. Yeah. So, so how has that worked out for you to sort of remote work and all of that sort of actually the, really great, really okay. great. Um, when you're starting a studio, you have to be super conscious of an overhead. Right. And so, of course, uh, we finally got an office in January and this okay. is the office, right? Um, right. You know, it's very small, but it houses our render farm and our servers and, you know, so people can remote in or come by, but mostly people are working from home. There's a core group that works here, um, but uh, people are just working from all over the place on their, on their home machines. And, um, you know, we remote in and we have Zooms and Slacks and it allows, it allows us to work with anybody. And we love that, you know, we right. work with talent from anywhere. And a lot of people want that, you know, they want to go move to Tennessee or Texas and, um, yep. it's, it's fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I, I think it's really cool what you're doing and definitely going to follow up on, on some of these things. And, and I encourage people to go check out, uh, Future House Studios and the, the cool work that they're doing because it's a lot of fun. And it was so amazing to run into you. I was like, I can't. I'm so glad I saw you, Chris. I know. <laughs> I, was I was like, really I cool. know that guy. I know it. Holy really shit. Cool. I work. Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting to, to, to do that. I think it's great. I'm really, really, really impressed. And congratulations on, on, on getting this thing going and, and doing the amazing work you're doing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, we'll, uh, this, is, this has been fantastic.